This is absurd. My dear young man, don't take it too hard. Your work is ingenious. It's quality work. And there are simply too many notes. That's all. Just cut a few and it'll be perfect. Which few did you have in mind, Majesty? Welcome to the Thursday edition of the Back to Back podcast. It is Nerder She Wrote. Filling in for Tom Habershow again, I am Dave Dufour. Before we get the show started, don't forget to subscribe to The Daily Ding, a new short-form daily basketball podcast recapping the night before in the NBA. And we've moved BOMM to its own feed, so be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're using for podcasts. And don't miss The Interceptable, a new weekly football podcast with Kean Fahey and Zach Harper. So definitely check that out. Joining me on the show as usual, David Thorpe, coach. How's it going? Is it are we out of tank top season there yet? I mean, it's late October. Yeah. In, in Texas, I can't wear a tank top outside. It's too chilly. Oh yeah. No, I I'm in a tank top. It is warm. It is cool. It is actually nice. We had the windows open today for a little bit. I think it's gonna get warmer again on the weekend back in the eighties. But uh We've been, we've been, we've been, we've been to the high sixties, you know, at three in the morning and maybe 79, 80 at, uh, seven o'clock when my wife and I took a walk last night, maybe, maybe in 77. So I got no complaints, bro. That's for sure. And, uh, our special guest this week, the host of the dunked on NBA basket, or is it dunked on basketball NBA podcast or dunked on NBA basketball podcast? I always <laughs> mess that up. Uh, Nate Duncan, uh, Nate, how is married life? Uh, dude, it's it's fantastic. Uh, absolutely no change whatsoever from <laughs> Where did you get married? beforehand. Uh, got married here in the Bay Area, and then uh, did a nice nice little honeymoon to Asia. Awesome. Um, and, it's awesome. And, and if I may, uh, if I may comment on the tank tops, uh, <laughs> when you're the sort of person who likes wearing tank tops, either. <laughs> it's always tank top season or you're the sort of person who doesn't like wearing tank tops and it's never tank top season. I don't, I don't think the weather really like has that much of an impact. Frankly, Trust me, it's, it, it, it's not for any aesthetic purpose. I, my wife will, uh, will vouch for that. It's, it's not a smart fashion choice, but uh, I'm not having, if I'm not in a meeting of any sort, I, as, as I always tell her, there's a lot less laundry to do for me anyway. Uh, at, at my wedding, actually, uh, my best man who went to college with me, I went to college in New Orleans. Uh, certainly the fact that I wore tank tops every day of freshman, sophomore and junior year uh, made an appearance in the best man speech. That's amazing. Tank. I didn't know you were a tank top guy, Nate. Uh, well, you know, I mean. If you're going to go to the gym, you don't want your shoulders to get too hot. And, you know, I was going to the gym that day. So why change at any other point? There you go. Hey, are you eating carbs yet? (laughs) Are you back? Are you back? You're back to carbs. The carbs are back. Yeah. The, uh, uh, the crash diet, uh, it was a shed for the wed, which then turned into shred for the wed in the last month. And then, uh, balloon on the moon was that. (laughs) (laughs) All of those courtesy of my wife, by the way. Oh, that's awesome. Um, hey, were you were you in the house last night for Curry? Yes, I was. It was fantastic. I mean, there's just there's nothing like it at all. I mean, and really, the first time since 2016 that we've really, I think, seen 
that level of magic from him. You know, I, I've talked about this uh, in the, in the last week, like just the, this early on, I mean, they've played five games, so it's super early. Um, he's averaging 34 and a half a game. Uh, he's hitting 6.6 threes a game on 52%. Uh, he's shooting uh, 55% from the field, 90% from the line. Um, the big change that I've noticed this year is that he's not being passive and trying to work KD, get him involved. He's actually hunting his shot a little more, more like that 15, 16 season. Nate, was this something that like you saw maybe in training camp or, or in the preseason from him, or, or is this kind of unexpected for you? No, nah, I was in Asia. Oh, that's right. <laughs> no, uh, you weren't there. Uh, yeah, just for like the first like couple of weeks of the preseason. Um, certainly, that was the talk coming out of, of Warriors camp, and you know, just watching him in preseason. There's always oh, gonna this. He's at his best, you know, which I was skeptical of. Right? I mean, it's you know, age 30, 31 season. Uh, that twenty sixteen season was, you know, the greatest offensive season, I believe ever in the regular season, maybe not the greatest season ever. Cause he's not as good of a defender as some other guys. Uh, but to think that he could return to those heights that he's at his best ever, as Steve Kerr was saying in the preseason seemed unrealistic. Uh, now he's going to have a long, long way to go, uh, to keep this up for an entire season, including staying healthy, uh, which he hasn't really done, uh, last year. Um, but you know, this is, it's the first time that we've seen that. And I thought that that was gone forever. Even just getting one more game like that. I, I was really happy to see because there's just, there's nothing like being in the building for that. When you're just sitting there uh, on press row laughing. And even those, uh, hardened jaded journalists are, uh, just, you know, clearly enjoying themselves. I, I this version of Steph Curry is, is possibly my favorite player of all time. I mean, it's just, it's so much fun. Uh, coach, I described him as an avalanche. It's it's a, a different sort of demoralization when he gets going like this. Uh, what did you think about Curry last night in particular, but this season as a whole? All right, so a couple of things on it. Uh, yeah, I like to I like that term avalanche. I didn't know that Curry had said that, uh, Nate. Um, I'm not surprised though. Uh, first of all, when people ask me, you know, like, what do, what do they mean about the revolution? Like they. I, that last night, that game last night, even though the Wizards were, I thought, fucking ridiculously bad on defense. Hey, guys, he likes to shoot the ball. You may want to put your hand up early. Um, they treated him like he was a mere mortal, which is the point of the revolution. He was taking shots that nobody used to take because they didn't make him very much. And so when they did take him, the defense was happy they were taking him. But I don't care if Curry misses five in a row. You have to guard him from there. He's proven that. Uh, the stuff he was doing off the dribble, the depth, the quickness, the, 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 how quickly he was taking shots, some of the, in some cases in transition and where he was on the court, that's the revolution because no one else has tried that. And the, the few that have, again, haven't made it. And now we're seeing that again. I, I help high school kids and follow all games all over the world now. That's just happening more. Like Trey Young is not Steph Curry, but he does a lot of things like Steph Curry. There's, there's a wave to use your term, there's an avalanche of those guys coming. They're not necessarily going to be better than him. He's the best ever. He's not going to be maybe the best ever for always. We have to, I mean, no one thought they'd be better than Jordan. Well, it only took, what, a couple decades to get a better one or at least close to it. So I thought the Wizards last night helped him because they just forgot what his range was. 
and that he's truly green lighted. I also thought it was a great point regarding the KD thing. First of all, Nate, you said you were there. You said so. So KD's kind of checked himself out. Uh, end of the, near the end of the third, saying like these guys are done. They don't really compete or something. Did you see that? That was early in the fourth, I think. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. No, I was I was too far away to to see that actually. Have you seen but, it on video? Uh, no, no. It's, uh, yeah, they got because yeah, when you're at the game, it sometimes you'll miss stuff like that. Yeah, of course they they got the camera on him, and I thought it was late third, like two minutes to go in the third, and I didn't read his lips, and I didn't have the volume on on my cell when I saw it, but it was something along the lines of like, you know, these guys, these fuckers aren't trying, whatever, and yeah, I don't know, I don't need to be on the court. Um, but you, seven, you know, it was funny. I mean, I yeah. thought like individually, guys were trying. Like Brad Beal was trying, Austin Rivers was was trying. But they just, you know, it, it was just like five guys out there trying and like having absolutely no communication whatsoever. Uh, and it really is. It it's just like teams will come into Oracle and it'll look like that. The Suns look like that where they just like there's just this avalanche and, and you can't their transition defense just becomes so bad. And they're pointing at each other and getting angry. And you just know that it's all over for them. So Ian Levy uh, posted this on Twitter. Um, the Warriors scored 41 points on 23 possessions where John Wall was guarding Curry last night, which is absolutely insane. Yeah, um, quote unquote guarding because he was one of the culprits that I thought just didn't get his hands up early. You have to you have to get him up automatically when he's on on the uh, on the basket side of half court. You've got to make him at least think. Uh, and if he drives by you, so be it. But what you can't do is arrive late to him, you're screwed, or know you're going to be late, so you race out there out of control because what he's not going to do is just blow by you and get it too. It's what you want him to do. He's going to skitter back to another spot in the three-point line because you're off balance and shoot it. And this is that's the revolution. That's part of the revolution. He he does some of these things. So the, the Wizards, just they just were, for, for whatever reason, I mean, I'm not suggesting it's easy to guard him anyway. Or that team. It's not like they have weapons all over the place. But, yeah, that is uh, – I can only imagine, Nate. I've not been in the arena for them when he's cooking like that. It's – I've watched – I probably watched more shots than anyone in that arena that night um, with, with some exception. Just considering what I do for a living, I don't get excited too often about seeing what I saw last night. But, like, those 11 threes he made – I mean, the, the degree of difficulty from some of them are so high. And uh, even when he takes them live, when you watch it, you're just thinking, okay, that's it. He's just, he's so spectacular, guys. I, I caught him in Phoenix uh, in the 15, 16 season when they were on that run to start the season. Um, and he put up 40 in three quarters. And, and that's the thing where I call it an avalanche. avalanche. It, it's completely demoralizing. And the game is done. And he's out of the game and he's sitting on the bench with a towel on his head. I, I just don't know how when he's cooking like that, I don't think teams can can expect. Have you win. seen with Steve Nash? Hey, guys, have you seen the Nash comments recently about uh, his shooting at in Phoenix when they were so good? No, that, that should have taken more. And, and oh, that Nash shot more. Yeah. Yes. That's so this is what Curry's doing. Curry is just, he's learned, and maybe he probably learned a couple years ago. He's, uh, he recognizes uh, what Nash probably didn't at the time. Um, and so you have to kind of always give credit to those that came before you, and I'm sure Curry does. Uh, that's why I always thought he was most similar to anyway coming out of college. 
And it's just that next step forward of just not being afraid. Uh, he's not afraid to miss, guys. He's not afraid to miss those shots. That's how much confidence he has. And that's why I give Steve Kerr a lot of credit, too, and Mark Jackson not, because I think that he's recognized what he had there. Be like telling Mozart, uh, you're using too many notes. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know, and, and not to be overlooked, KD had 38 and 7 on 18 shots. With some good drives to the rim. Yeah, he was good. Yeah, they, they look great. Um, I, I've been a little worried about the lack of shooting outside of, you know, their, their top three, they're very top heavy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, their bench I mean, is bad. Yeah. And so Steph is, has hit like 13 more threes than the rest of the team or something like that. Nate, is that, is that something, I mean, it, it's hard to say it's going to be a problem just because of how good they're, they're I, I the top think side be of being problem. top heavy yeah, is. I think so. Do you think really? I do. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I do too. Um, I, I mean now a problem, everything is relative, right? right. Like yeah, I of course. still think uh, if they're healthy, problem. If they're healthy and everyone's playing at top effectiveness, you know, they're still the overwhelming favorites. I think, you know, my reason why I picked the field over them to win the championship this year is simply because, you know, with them getting older, maybe not everyone is playing at full effectiveness or someone is injured. You know, I mean, they, the last two years, it was so inevitable. But like if the KD and Steph's injuries, respectively, the last two years happen at different times, they don't win the championship. And Chris probably. Paul doesn't go down. Yeah. I mean, it, it luck does yeah. happen. Yeah. Well, and. and you could say Iguodala too, but you know, can you count on him uh, right. at this point? But you know, against bad teams, they're still going to kill it. And one of the sets that I pointed out at halftime was, you know, Katie, Steph, and Clay had taken forty-six of their fifty-nine shots, uh, and so that's uh, I think that was either at halftime or at some point in the third quarter. And you know, you know, uh, with the the relative non-threats that they have, like. Draymond, Andre Iguodala, they're not the same guys offensively that they were two years ago, um, you know, in terms of three-point shooting, in terms of attacking the basket. So, but if you're not making those guys beat you, like which the Wizards clearly weren't, like that's a, to me is, a, is an indication when those guys are taking, you know, 75% of the shots, uh, the Wizards weren't capable of forcing the ball out of their hands, actually being connected and saying, all right, Draymond Green, Andre Iguodala, we're going to make you guys beat us from three or at the very least we're going to not guard you guys and then make you guys set a screen to get these guys open. You know I mean? It really was just, you know, giving up fast break points. Where is it? 45 fast break points. Uh, and then they also had, uh, you know, 35% offensive rebounds through the competitive portion of the game. Pretty much every single one of which seemed to turn into a step three in that yeah. third quarter. He's so but, good at but relocating. Good teams, yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. But good teams, I think, are going to be able to take advantage of the lack of shooting, especially when not all three of those guys, Steph clay and KD are on the floor at the same time. You know, I think then you can really start to affect this team. And that's until guys, Iguodala hasn't made a three yet. He's made four field goals on the year. It's just four games. He only played, I think he missed the Utah game. Uh, But that's, I mean, he's having two points a game in 20 minutes, right? We we have to keep track of that. Uh, I don't remember what Draymond's done for the year um, from three, but it's not good. It's I know it's bad. I just don't know how bad. Um, this is, I just think, a fair concern depending on how strong the other teams are, right? We can't just look at them in a vacuum. Sure. Uh, there's teams on both sides. In fact, maybe, I'm curious what, what you guys think about this. I would argue that their best competition – as it projects now, because until Jimmy Butler ends up somewhere, we don't really know uh, the best competitions probably out east. I don't I don't think Utah 
who I think is going to be the two seed, is is anywhere close to what Houston was last year. And uh, I think their best competition is going to be Boston and Toronto. I, I agree. I don't think Utah is going to be able to score with them. I agree. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and uh, the Raptors look amazing. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, another we'll guy. See, so you guys are writing off Houston already here? No, because Daryl will do something. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I think I'm they have a move to make. Yeah. I'm running yeah. on this but, team. It won't, but this will Michael be the team. Michael Carter-Williams <laughs> will not be in the rotation in the Who? playoffs. Right, right exactly. Right. We'll be starting, right. I, I feel secure about that. I, I actually think Melo is not going to be in a rotation. I agree. It's the playoffs. Yeah. I, I don't think that Daryl is going to going to keep him around. I mean, he's just going to be not against the. No, they, I know without question they're working on things, and he's fantastic. They'll they'll be better, but until I see that version, I can't predict that they'll be better than Boston and, and Toronto right now. Uh, hey, Dave. What's up, buddy? What's up? Uh, we got a uh, live read for The Athletic. You want to do that? Sure. You you, you subscribe, right? Yeah, I, I have my Athletic subscription. I love getting the daily emails so that I know what I haven't read yet. You know, it's pretty nice. It's easy to find all the people that I want to read. Uh, Ethan Strauss, Sham Sharania, Zach Harper, Sam Amick, all of my favorite journalists that are that are covering these teams day in and day out yeah it's really it's really perfect for the thursday uh, audience because it's smarter sports coverage for the diehard sports fans and no ads dave no pop-ups and no auto and no play auto videos. Play. i hate autoplay hate video. autoplay especially recording a podcast and forgetting to mute the tab it is the worst you have to go and do all this extra editing. Don't forget, you get access to all of the athletics content with a uh, subscription. That's local content for the teams you love, but also national content. So you're getting Sam Vecini, you're getting Danny LaRue, you're getting all those guys Ridiculous. all for one, one low price. Go to theathletic.com slash back to back. The code, that'll get you 40% off. That's three bucks a month. Incredible deal. It, it's the best money I spend every year. Um, again, that is theathletic.com forward slash back to back for 40% off, hopefully. And <laughs> you can enjoy our friend Ethan Strauss and, and Zach Harper. His gambling column, I guess is what we'll call it. His gambling column is fun. Is it it's a lot of fun. Is yeah, it, it's really fun. Is it, is it been accurate? Uh, he nailed it this week. It's fun. I like it. I like the idea. I found out like why it's called a push and he was, he, it was really funny. Hey, by the way, uh, while you're gambling, you can also go to FanDuel.com forward slash B2B to be part of our weekly challenge on Wednesdays. I, I, I placed third last night or fourth or one of the oh, other. I'm not in on this. But I made some money. Yeah, go to FanDuel.com forward slash B2B. Sign up through our URL. You get $5 in to your bank. So you can play at least one week for free while helping mm-hmm. out the show greatly. So. There we go. Can I write this off? That's that's the question. Write it off, Dave. Another guy who is off to a really great start and, uh, you know, has had some injury issues. He only got one day in the sun after his 50-point game, but yeah. uh, Blake, Blake Griffin yeah. has been just lights out. He's my MVP. Him. Really? Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's five <laughs> games or four games. I think he's played it's maybe. Three games, yeah. He played three, right. Like, right. Going uh, I mean, so he's been incredible. He's averaging 36 and 11, uh, about six assists. I mean, he's rebounding like he did early on in his career, which, you know, I know Dwayne Casey puts a focus on that. Uh, Coach, we talked about him a little bit last week, the bully ball that that Detroit is trying to play. Um, But but Blake's actually mixing it up. He's hitting 58% on four pull-ups a game. 
pull up threes. Um, this is sort of what, what we all kind of thought he could have been three or four years ago. Maybe the injuries got in the way, but, um, what are you seeing out of Blake? Yes. I watched the whole game. I mean, it's no, it's not typical just cause I, I watch multiple games at once typically where I can kind of focus on any one game. And I did the, uh, the Sixers game. I, I had that on the whole time. And I think that was a, maybe four games that night overall. Um, he is relentless. So we know he's an amazing bucket getter. We know that the, the Pistons, they remind me, I'm much older than you guys, but when, uh, when Rocky first came out, I was 11 years old and it, it, I actually took a bus to go see the first Rocky. Um, and, uh, it, so it's just that franchise, at least the first four movies anyway, really stayed with me. And there's a great scene where Rocky's, you know, working on, uh, the midsection and you hear his manager saying, you know, the body, the body, the body. I always think about that when I watch the Pistons play because between Blake and Drummond, they pummel you in the paint. Unfortunately, that may be their only real options except for Blake shooting the three. They, they need some help on perimeter shooting, but uh, we cannot ignore the playmaker that Blake is. He, he's a really gifted passer and Drummond is too. So, uh, but he, but you know, the, the engine is, is Blake and, uh, I don't know that it's going to mean a whole lot. I did think as much as I've been a fan of Stan Van Gundy, he, he did not do a great job there for a lot of reasons. And I, I think Dwayne Casey has got some limitations as a, as a game manager, but I think he proved to be a, just a fantastic culture builder in Toronto. And I feel that's why I've kind of focused on Detroit. They were my early, they were my preseason picks kind of be like the, the real shocking team because of that. I just, he just, he just gets guys to care and compete for each other and, and almost play like a college team. And I, they, they're having fun and they're competing and they have their limitations as a team, but he, he's impossible to guard because like you said, he's got the pull up. Uh, he's a foul magnet, which is an issue for him sometimes shooting the free throw, but he can shoot the three. It's a, it's a nice looking shot. It's a little bit of a jump shot more than the early release, but it works. And so what do you do? I mean, they, 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 the Sixers had no clue what to do. And uh, I'm not sure there's any easy answers because he can throw that low bounce pass to Drummond or the lob to him. And so he's got some options as a playmaker to hell of a finisher. Well, Nate, uh, his age 29 season, it's, it's really clear that his athleticism has declined, but um, this, this might be the peak of his playmaking. I mean, like, it looks like he's seeing the court in a way that, and maybe he just didn't have this chance. I, I don't know. I, I want to get your opinion on this. Is, is this sort of, just that the offense is kind of built around him, or is this a newish Blake? Uh, no, I think it's something that he's had for a while. And you can go back to, for example, the 2015 playoffs when Chris Paul missed those first two games yeah. in Houston. And he, one of those two games, he was just unbelievable bringing the ball up. And now, I mean, Dwayne Casey has pushed you even more now. I think he had these skills, he's refined them. Uh, and now doing Casey, I mean, he's bringing the ball up every possession. He's, he's a point operating, right? Yeah. He, he's operating almost more like a Ben Simmons or a LeBron yeah. James. Right. Uh, and, and I thought, you know, one of the reasons I was lower on him was I didn't feel like he was capable of winning in the post against, you know, some of the, uh, smaller power forwards <laughs> in today's game, or he used to be able to guard him with the center because the jump shot wasn't good enough. Well, now if he's going to shoot pull up threes, you can't really guard him with the center unless it's someone, you know, a real good guy like Joel Embiid. And then when they put Embiid on him, 
they went four or five pick and roll, which Embiid couldn't handle, and they were able to dime up Drummond for a couple of dunks. And to continue uh, on the playmaking theme, he's got two turnovers all year. I know, which is, which is pretty awesome. Now, I do want to say I'm not quite buying that he's going to continue to shoot you know over 50 percent on pull up threes. <laughs> sure, you know? I mean no, if, he can, I if he can shoot. 35% on that, you know, that I think that's going to be pretty good. They have had three very close wins with Blake playing out of his mind against, you know, not the exactly a murderous row slate here. So we'll see, you know, it's kind of reminds of when he joined the team last year and they won four close games real quickly. And everyone's like, Oh, Blake, you know, this was a great trade against, you know, teams on the second night of back to back at home. So we'll see if they can keep it going. But, you know, certainly with him playing this way, I think KC is, uh, you know, really unlocked him. And uh, there's a, a lot to be said for that approach. I mean, th- we talked about how, oh, Nick Nurse is like bringing a more modern approach to Toronto. Well, Dwayne Casey still learned some tricks in Toronto, and he's actually bringing a more three-point heavy approach to Detroit. Yeah, I thought that the game-winning play that 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 Blake had where it was, you know, he was up at the wing and he fakes the, the DHO. I, I mean, that's uh, getting the defense to respect your passing so much that they were more concerned about him giving the ball up than actually going. And it was a great set by it was a great set by Dwayne Casey too. It was a very good play. Yeah, you, you know what wasn't good was putting Amir Johnson on a guard as the inbounder Ugh. with five point six seconds left. Yeah, that was just a bonehead bonehead move. I still think the Pistons need a real point guard. At, like we talked about this last week, how Kemba Walker would just really be perfect there um, because I think they've got some decent pieces. Um, I think Bullock is going to, going to have another good season. Um, But man, they're, they're just not getting out of Reggie Jackson, what they need. So um, how about the bucks? Mike Budenholzer uh, has completely transformed that team. I mean, we've all seen the the shot charts, which looks like a Daryl Morey fever dream. Um, they are that defense to me has been the, the, the biggest night and day difference. They are actually using their length. They're playing a little bit more conservatively, but they're actually being effective, uh, which is, which is the best part. Uh, coach, um, I know you've, you've been all over the bucks and we're all over them after game one. Uh, have you seen anything in the last few days to, to change your mind? I mean, like Detroit, there's there's uh, some holes that I watched them some last night. There's definitely some holes still. You know, you 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 like the potential ascension of Giannis into being the best player in the league, and as we've seen with LeBron, that can be enough if you have just the single best player in the league. Um, you can kind of get to that top spot, but he's not there yet, and he still can't shoot at all. I, I really broke his three point shot down this morning just on tape, and it's it's he's got some real issues with it. I don't know that he's ever – I don't know if he's going to figure it out this year anyway. But uh, hey, hey, Coach, can I ask you a question real quick? Please, yeah. I first saw Giannis in 2013 in like this sweaty little gym uh, about 30 kilometers from Treviso, Italy. They, he just happened to be playing a warm-up game with the Greek under-20 national team, and there's just a, a ton of scouts packed into that gym. <laughs> and he kind of, and even on film and, and in his first year in the NBA, he kind of shot the shot like more of a set shot off his right shoulder. Uh, but he actually like made some of those shots, you know, and he, I think he shot 34% his first year. Like it, it was like most people were saying he's going to be like a decent shooter uh, early on in his career. And then whether they like reworked his form so that he kind of shot it more 
uh, above his head, yeah. um, which, you know, I think is, is better for close in shots to have a, a high release. And, you know, I think kid just told him, Hey, don't take threes anymore. And ever since then, he just hasn't been able to shoot it. If you notice that you're much more of a shooting expert than I am, but like, how has his shot evolved from when he was in the draft prospect process? I don't remember. It's, I, I typically do, especially when I was a younger man, I used to, People remember different things. For me, I could kind of emulate anyone's shot growing up, which is always kind of what I could do. So in my front yard driveway, I could be Maurice Cheeks and Norm Nixon and Jamal <laughs> Wilkes. And I, I, you know, I just knew what they looked like. J- Jamal Wilkes is a tough one, man. Well, the tough one to do, but easy to remember. <laughs> that was a huge, 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 huge. Lakers were my favorite team. He Talk about underrated player. He's one of the most underrated of all time. But uh, I think that uh, I'm watching some Giannis tape right now. I think that uh, he, he's very stiff with it. He does get it above his head. What you said is exactly right. I'm a big believer that if you have to get it above your head to shoot the three, you probably shouldn't be shooting it. Uh, it's different in the paint. That's what I do with my, with my son and his friends. And I don't really care where your release point is. Steph Curry got a pretty low release point. It's worked out fine for him. He's not a yeah. tall guy in that league. Um, he gets it above his right eye and to the side a little bit, which is okay. But it's a little bit away from his body. You tend to mo- mostly want like T-Rex arms when you shoot. It's just a more natural, powerful shot. Uh, I know for him, I'd, I'd make him shoot from 25 feet to the direct middle and bank it in until he can do until he can do that consistently. He probably isn't ready to shoot the three because almost all of his misses are really short. He just he can't reach yeah. it. Something's I, wrong. I saw a stat the other day. I think I can't remember who had it. That like 70 percent of three point misses are short. Yeah, yeah. I, it's actually changed. I've been teaching shooting. I, I started coaching the year threes came into existence in high school in 1987, which is when I was just out of college. So uh, I didn't used to teach what I teach now. I used to teach to see the front of the rim. Uh, that's, that was just how I shot. And now I teach to see the, the inside back of the rim because I want them to hit yeah. what you see. And I never used to do that. But for most guys, miss three short. And Giannis, it's, it's a mechanical thing. It's not a fear of anything of letting of letting it go so one way i break guys of that habit of always missing short is and working on their form so it's fluid is shooting you could put them at 40 feet and make sure they shoot a regular shot i just have them stand at 25 and, and bank it but it's uh he it's not just that his right arm tends to sway to the right uh he's not always synchronized with the release of the ball from his finger pads and the whole energy coming up from the bottom of his shoes up it should be a very synchronized feel and it's not always that I don't know where he's looking as I'm not on the court with him, I'm buddies with his agent. I'm actually a Texas agent about, we've talked about it before. Um, it doesn't really matter right now. Nobody can guard him. And I think he's leading the NBA in rebounding 16 and a half a game. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, and he, and he gets it. Like he, I'm reading Jackie. I don't know if you guys have read Jackie McMullen's book yet. I just got it yesterday. And luckily I, I was just texting with her on another issue and I was very happy to take a picture of it and say it, it came. But uh, if you read it, she starts, you know, the book starts off pretty early with what you'd think if you're talking about the history of basketball, which is the Celtics. And of course, she loves the Celtics. Um, she loves all the NBA. And just the willingness to sacrifice for those early Celtics teams, reading their comments as grown men now. Honestly, I thought about Giannis. I, I just think Giannis has no ego about stuff like that. He just wants to win. And yeah, he's the big agent for that, but he's not the only one. So when you're, when you have, when you have a player that good, uh, I love the Lopez, uh, I, you probably, you guys do too, getting him to open up the floor more because you don't have a, uh, 
your best player isn't the shooter. You better go get other guys that are. I've always been a big fan of Middleton. Bledsoe's fine, but I'm sorry. I'm just I'm not ready to uh, to say a team that starts Malcolm Brogdon is going to be a serious contender. I like him off the bench. They they need they need a deal. Whether it's Kemba or whatever, they need a deal. Um, the kid from Villanova is fine, but he's not going to you know he's not the answer yet. They're still short, right? Their bench is short compared to what I think they need. But I will say the coach has done a. I they had a possession last night. I, I could catch it on video. I hadn't posted. I haven't done it yet. They ended up in a miss, but it was just really gorgeous basketball of getting that first domino to fall and then moving the ball around so effortlessly to the wide open wing shooter who misses it. But that that looked like a bud possession in Atlanta five times a game or more. And so as they get that, plus I think he's a much better defensive coach than people realize. Well, at least the average person we all know. Uh, they're they're going to be guys. They're going to be there. They're not going to be an easy out. He's too good, especially if they can acquire one more player. But yeah, they're, they're a step below. I think um, the Detroit and, and and I mean Boston and Toronto. But but right there with a, a team like um, the Sixers, uh, who right. they beat last night. Right? Yeah, they could beat them. I think I have them above the Sixers yeah. right now. I just think the Sixers have this this weird rotational stuff that they've got, got a big work. hole too. Yeah, um, Nate. So Chris Middleton has has been just lights out so far this season. I mean, he he might have had the the most overlooked twenty point per game season last year. Um, this offense has really opened up the floor for him. You had an awesome stat. I don't want to steal it from you um, if you don't mind sharing it. Yo, this isn't updated for yesterday's games, but basically for his entire career, he'd been around between five and six three pointers. Per 100 possessions, which for a 40% shooter is pretty low. And, you know, he was a, a lethal mid-range guy, but you could see on film, he would turn down a lot of threes and they definitely never ran plays for him to actually get threes with that being the point of it. And this year he's over 11, three pointers. He's almost doubled his three point attempt rate from last year. And then he was at 14.5, two pointers per hundred possessions. And that's down below 10 this year now. And you can just see where the, the emphasis has changed and just having a guy like that. And he's making some tough attempts. If you watch the film of, and again, you know, with Curry, obviously he's not that level of shooter, but when you have a guy who will just bomb tough attempts like that from three, it really just changes the geometry of the entire defense to say, all right, if this guy comes off a screen at the three point line, we got to have another guy there who can pick him up in case he gets wide open off the screen. And uh, when you throw in also that Lopez has been spotting up, who's five eleven from three last night, that's giving uh, Giannis so much more room to work inside. And so it, it really has uh, looked fantastic offensively for them. And then you know they haven't been awesome on defense yet, but they're at least like avoiding some of the mistakes that they had made previously. And so, yeah, I mean, they look real good on the, this four and start. Yeah. And, and I'll bring up Bledsoe, even though coach coach said he's not in on him yet. Um, no, I, his, I like Bledsoe. Well, I his like activity. Brogdon. So his defensive activity has been fantastic. And I, what I'll say is I think Brogdon's in there more because of his defense than his offense. I think that's pretty clear. I, I was thinking last night, if you could, if you could sub Brogdon for a guy like a Kent Bazemore, who was just a better athlete, and, and a little bit better three point shooter, you, you'd actually have like a really tough starting lineup, but 
Brogdon is is the clear weak point there. Um, Nate, are, are there any guys that? I mean, it's it's super early for this for this process. Are there any guys out there that are like expiring that they might be able to go after that would fit what they're trying to do there? Hmm. That's an interesting question. I have to look up uh, on my uh, spreadsheet if there's anyone in particular, but just in the general uh, trading process for them, they do already have that pick that they owe to Phoenix from the Bledsoe trade that's out there. That's probably not going to go until 2020 because it's protected uh, 17 to 30 this year. And they look like they're going to have much better than uh, you know the number 17 pick this year. So, Really, the first pick they can trade is likely not going to go until 2022. And so that makes things a, a little bit more difficult. Now, you know, I think if they are a, a team that's looking like they could win the East this year, maybe you do try to make a move to bring someone else in. But then they, it's also worth noting that if they want to do that and bring someone back next year, well, if you bring back Middleton and Bledsoe at the numbers they're likely to get, you're pretty much right at the tax. And, you know, I'm not sure that this is a, an ownership group that's going to pay the tax necessarily. Uh, and, you know, so they could certainly try to maybe give up a future first rounder. I don't think there are too many guys on their bench that are going to have a lot of value and bring someone back in. But the hope I think there would be that they could do that for Del Vadova or Henson to have someone take on that bad salary and then get someone that's useful. Maybe even someone that expires in 2020. I think Bazemore actually is an excellent example of that, right? Like if they could do give up a first rounder, maybe get Kent Bazemore, but also get, uh, Del Vadova and Henson off the books through 2020. Now you have a guy who's under contract after this year. Uh, you know, that's the type of trade they might be looking to make, but that really only makes sense if they think that they are, uh, you know, a Kent Bazemore away for winning the Eastern Conference because as good as they look this year, you know, they still basically have uh, a year and or basically two years this season and next before Giannis will have that designated player veteran extension that he's eligible for. And if he turns that down, then you got to trade him at yeah. that point. So they got right. these two seasons basically to sell Giannis uh, on staying in Milwaukee. And yeah, 55 games probably isn't even enough. You got to be conference finals looking like a championship is a possibility probably to do that in my opinion. Yeah. Well, I don't think they're going to win the East because, uh, the Toronto Raptors look like a monster. Um, coach, you and I were all over this last week, the positional flexibility, Nick nurse has been, I'm not going to say tinkering with lineups, but he's been adjusting based on matchups like a team would in the playoffs, which I've been arguing team more teams should do during the regular season. Um, Kawhi Leonard, I mean, is he the best player in the East? Are we five games in? Are we able to say that? I mean, he looks like two years ago. I mean, Blake Blake has played the best at, uh, you know, 10 days in, whatever it is. But if you're asking me who is going to be the best player in the East, yeah, I, I would say Kawhi. And um, this is this is why I thought they were the best team in the East. And uh I also thought Boston, I wrote this during the playoffs last year, that when you're just not going to get Brown and Tatum and Rozier to play how they played last year when you bring in Kyrie and, and Hayward. And there was, there's going to be hiccups with that. Toronto just has such a nice separation of stars and then role players who maybe one day can get there. But you know, until you've tasted it, you don't really know any better. Brown and Tatum tasted it last year. 
and just knowing players the way I do, that's going to be in their minds and in their parents' minds and their friends' minds and their agents' minds. There isn't that issue in Toronto. Everyone just kind of knows their role. They, they know who their best player is. They know who their second best player is. They have an identity. They have a little ax to grind, it's fair to say. Um, you know, when we get to the dog days of winter, we'll see how motivated they are. But, but be, being Nurse's first year, that that's probably going to be a positive for him. He's going to be pushing the right buttons all the time. Uh, but I mean, they're, they're just really good. They were really good last year, and they upgraded. They traded their best player for a guy even better. So um, none of this surprises me, really. And I, and I personally think they made the right move in firing Dwayne Casey if they wanted to see if they couldn't get farther in the playoffs as opposed to just winning 55-plus games a year, which is a fair thing to want if that's what they wanted to settle for. But they didn't settle. So, uh, I, yeah, I think they could be world champs. Wow. Yeah, I actually feel the same way. I think, uh, I mean, if you're asking me today, and I felt this way a month ago, just on paper, um, the the lineup flexibility that they have, the high-end talent that they have, and then, you know, thinking about growth for guys like Siakam and yep. OG Ananobi. Yeah, um, that's, yeah a big, they, that's an important factor. Right. Those young guys can get a lot better over the course of the year. So, I mean, Nate, it's super early, um, but if you're the Warriors – is this is this the really is this the only team you'd be worried about beating you in the finals? No, I think you could put Boston in that category yeah. with the, some of the talent they have. I mean, I know they've struggled offensively, and I, I second what the coach was saying about some of their young guys. And Kyrie uh, has not looked right. You know, Hayward got a lot of the attention. I thought he looked better against Toronto. I've only seen their first two games, uh, the Celtics. But uh, you know, I think. That series, actually, you know, a Toronto Golden State series would be like a defensive battle uh, more than an offensive one. But I think ultimately the Warriors would be able to stop the Raptors uh, just a little bit better. Like the Raptors for, you know, their defensive talent is awesome. I mean, they could be one of the greatest defensive teams that we've seen in this era where switching uh, has become so prevalent. Uh, And Boston is up there, too, quite frankly. Uh, But. You know, I'm just not sure that Toronto can score quite well enough against Golden State because really, you know, Kawhi is the one guy who can really beat that defense. And that Golden State has not been able to stop Kawhi a lot of times. But, you know, I'm just not quite sure that OG, Serge Ibaka, Siakam, the guys who are going to need to be Danny Green is a shooter, but you know, not really. It doesn't have a lot of a, a high skill level. Uh, even though you know, I love him as a player, and he looks great so far, which is good to see coming off that groin injury. I'm just not sure they're quite dynamic enough offensively in terms of playmaking, in terms of other guys who can beat their man besides Kawhi Leonard to score well enough against Golden State. But if Golden State is not at their full efficiency, they're much thinner than Toronto. Yeah then I could see them giving a, a big series. And I picked, you know, Golden State to beat Toronto in six games in the NBA Finals before the season. So oh. you know, I think that's about what we'd see. But certainly, you know, I think it's 51-49 still between, you know, Toronto and Boston. Let's, uh, hey guys, let's, I want to get your opinion on this. Uh, I forgot to tell Dave I want to talk about it. Okay. We all know about the, it's, it's, it's kind of an extension, uh, Dave, of talking about pace. Right. I'm curious what you think, both of you, regarding the impact that increased pace overall is going to have on more veteran teams, like, like for example, James Harden and some of the older guys in the Rockets. Uh, uh, how is Valanciunas going to handle a faster pace? 
the the Warriors with a, a no bench and that I see, uh, and some of their guys who um, who are still getting decent minutes. Is I mean I realize we're talking about just some extra possessions per game, coast to coast. I, I, it's not fifty. I don't know what what is the what is the average pace difference now, uh, and maybe it's slower since week one. And and is that going to wear guys down a little bit? Where we have to look at that when it comes to projecting postseason anyway. Well, to put it into perspective, uh, the oh four oh five seven seconds or less Suns would be 29th in pace. Right. What about last year though? Compared to uh, last year, it's it's slightly up. Just yeah, slightly. I think we're up. I think we're up maybe like three or three or four possessions from last year. Maybe yeah. five. Yeah. 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 So um, it adds up over 82 games. Yeah. Nate, I'll let you take a swing at that first. Yeah. I, I mean, you guys uh, with your coaching background might be a, a little bit more qualified to answer this one uh, than me. Uh, but you know, I mean, I think the warriors are used to playing really fast. Some of these teams yes. I think, you know, are, are going to struggle to play at an incredibly fast pace and still defend. We saw that with the wizards last night, for example, like they got the whole bombing the three pointer down, but you know, it, mentally, I think it could be a real adjustment, especially for some of the support players, the guys who don't have license to come down and bomb a three pointer with 21 on the shot clock with no one else even having run down yet. You know, if you're, if you're a big, or if you're someone who, you know, is not one of the main guys on offense who, who gets to make that decision, can you mentally be tough enough to say, Hey, you know what? I know we just ran down on offense and that offensive possession was over on five in five seconds. And now I have to play defense again. You know, like I just got done playing defense. Uh, you know, do, can I have some fun on offense? You know, you have to mentally be able to get past that. The warriors are used to playing that way. The rockets, you know, they don't play that fast, but there are guys on offense who go a long time without touching the ball until they take an open three pointer, for example. So I'm, uh, I, I think it's an adjustment for a, a lot of these teams, but that's why, you know, I, I think you'll find eventually that the best teams in the NBA are going to defend and can play at that pace. Your Celtics, uh, your warriors, your Raptors will be able to do that because they just have such good defensive oriented players and they have a good team culture and they're winning. You know, when, when you're losing, it's very easy to say, all right, you know, we're just playing fast. I'm going to just shoot. And, and, you know, if I don't get back, it, it's not the end of the world. Right. I also, I think a lot of the, the increase in pace is because of the rule, uh, the emphasis the, uh, on movement and then uh, resetting the shot clock to 14 seconds. So I think that it's, it's, I'm not going to say it's an illusion, but it's not as drastic on the court as it seems when you're looking at the numbers. I mean, it's obvious that teams are shooting a lot of threes and things like that, but I, I don't know that we'll see too much, but I, I'm with Nate. I think that the mental part of that, where guys are going to, I mean, especially the slow guys getting down court shot goes up, got to turn around and run back. That's that's I'm more worried about that than, than any of the physical stuff. So, yeah, it's just something I want to watch for. Um, my my biggest concern with the pace is that the league becomes more predictable because, you know, right now, like, I mean, the more possessions you have in a game, the better team is typically going to come out on top. And so I worry about, you know, whether that winds up being bad for the league. Like, do we hit a point where it's just like, it's, it's, you don't really get any upsets ever. Uh, I mean that that's impossible, but um, that's no, your point. Of course you're right. The team that the better team wants more possessions, right? It's simple math. Yeah. Um, So I get it. And, 
And that's where some pragmatism would be smart for some of these teams to be able to, to be able to like Memphis tries to grind out a little bit more. They're terrible and many, you know, their wings are bad, but, um, uh, they're, they're not going to get caught up if they can help it anyway and playing super fast. Um, and, and t- so teams should have some flexibility. I also think about some players that are used to playing at a slower pace, suddenly on a new team that's suddenly playing much faster. How is that going to go over the course of time? Uh, it does. Every trip down the court makes a difference. And I just always remember, and I know you guys know this well, when, when Harden just died, I guess, I think it was game six and seven against the Spurs. Um, a couple of years ago where he was, the, I thought the best player in the league that year, but I always say the same thing and maybe I'm wrong, but it just seems to me that when you really run out of gas, you're out of gas. You're not getting it back for weeks and if not months, that's what the off season's for. And I just wonder if someone, you know, someone we're not expecting is going to run out of gas because they took an extra 200 or, 20 or 220 trips up and down the court over the course of the season. That's just something I'm going to be looking for a little bit. Um, well, I think we should uh, go ahead and start wrapping this up. Uh, Coach, I'll let you go first. Uh, what are you going to be looking for this week? You know, I'm always looking for how teams are figuring out, uh, okay, this isn't working great. Uh, you know, what's Houston going to do? Be- because what they can't do is let themselves get too far behind. Last year, was it a, was it a game, two games, Nate, where separated like four from seven or eight in the West? Yeah. Uh, three, I think it was three games. Was it three from four and eight? Uh, yeah, it was three games from like three to eight or yeah. three to ten or so three crazy. to nine. Yeah. So if you're Daryl Morey and you've got a, de- a team like the Warriors that you couldn't be last year with home court, you, you at the very least you'd like the option again of, of having to play game seven at home. They did lead in both game six and seven at halftime without Chris Paul. Uh, and that's just there's no margin for error. Their their energy is atrocious. Their wing effort is atrocious. And it's not just because Trevor Reza is gone. It's because the guys they play suck at that kind of stuff. They're, Gerald Green's not an energy guy. James Ennis, even when he's healthy, is not an energy guy, in my opinion. I, so, so I'm waiting for someone like that to do something. Can Detroit realize that, that – uh, we got to develop someone else to join, you know, our, our stud to some help Reggie a little bit. Uh, what, you know, the, the wizards to me are not, we're not sure where they are last night. They, they guarded badly and Curry went crazy, but you know, clearly they're a talented team. Uh, I, I'm just watching for who can be the next guy to kind of be one of those key players, the way Tatum stepped up and Brown stepped up last year. And that's the other thing I'm looking at too, is Boston's kind of been underwhelming. Uh, is it a, is it a hangover from last year? Uh, which is possible, but uh, Toronto can can really get a lead for the first seed pretty quickly here if Boston doesn't wake up, and it's just going to be tough to catch up five six games. Toronto's too good to make that up. If you get to February down five or six, you might be looking at the best of two seed. Yeah, you know, so Boston, I've I've had issues with Boston's offense for a couple of years now. Um, uh, the other day on the basketball buds, uh, I think it was the first time a lot of guys had heard my, my term clogged toilet offense. Um, they, they have plenty of actions that wind up going nowhere. And I don't think that Brad Stevens has adjusted to the personnel. And in particular, I think Kyrie Irving, he, he's not really using him to, to maximize what he does well. Um, so they get a lot of these elbow touches and stuff. And, and then just, there's just no 
there's no action toward the basket. I think Kyrie's not, he's barely driving to the hoop. And part of that may be conditioning. And and obviously we know this conditioning with Gordon Hayward. I think Boston will solve a lot of their issues by going to Gordon Hayward more in the pick and roll. And I think that'll help them out. Um, Nate, um, what are you, what are you going to be looking for this week as we wrap up? Well, certainly uh, the Lakers are, are a fascinating, fascinating team. They got right a little bit against a, Pathetic Suns defense last night. Uh, yeah, always good I, when the Suns when you can go to the Suns. Yeah, well, I, I forget who was talking about this yesterday. But just the amount of pressure that you feel as a Western Conference team to beat Phoenix and Sacramento when you play against them because they've got uh, you know those are your only two easy outs at least until injuries set in in the West. And so I, I'm going to be doing that Lakers game tonight with our our live show. And uh, against the Nuggets. And so I want to see how their defense looks in particular. You know, Rondo is still out. Ingram is still out. I actually don't think that Rondo is a huge loss for them, frankly. Um, but, uh, you know, Ingram is to a certain extent. And and JaVale has been awesome on offense. You know, he can kill bad teams uh, offensively. Uh, but, you know, as a, a pick and roll defender, I think he's he's really flawed. And when they get at the end of games, you know, I thought they'd be pretty good because LeBron was so good in the clutch those last couple of years in Cleveland, and maybe they'll get there. But, you know, I think if you're going to have JaVale out on the floor, that gives teams to, a place to attack defensively late in games. And then if you don't have him on the floor, you know, they don't really have anyone who has, like, traditional help instincts. Uh, so I, I really am most concerned about the Lakers' defense at this point. I think the offense you know, will come around to some degree. They're going to shoot better. Josh Hart has looked awesome, but yeah, I, I want to see how they defend the Denver Nuggets. I think that's going to be fascinating, especially Nikola Jokic, who, you know, it's either JaVale McGee trying to guard him in the post, or it's going to be someone way smaller than him. Well, everybody uh, follow Nate on Twitter at Nate Duncan NBA and check out the Twitter NBA show. It's actually, it's a lot of fun. You get advanced statistics while you're watching the game. And then obviously Nate's analysis is second to none. Um, Check out the dunked on NBA basketball podcast. It's every day. Um, It's a staple of my mornings. It's how I I cheat when I'm trying to follow every game during the season. Um, And then follow Coach Thorpe on Twitter, too, at Coach Thorpe. Uh, Nate, thanks for uh, making time. I appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure, guys. All right. Thanks, Coach. Thanks, Coach.